Hello there, and welcome once again to Insight Peterborough. I'm Devin Wilkins. Insight Peterborough is a project of the local chapter of the Canadian Council of the Blind, otherwise known as CCB. And if you'd like to find out more about what the uh, CCB is all about, all you have to do is send an email to ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. ccbpeterborough at gmail.com. All right. Well, April, uh, April 11th is the date of the Easter Seals Telethon. And uh, we always like to uh, uh, gather people around with their support and that sort of thing. Uh, so I once again had the uh, pleasure of chatting with Carly Jacobs, and uh, she is the uh, coordinator of the um, Easter Seals uh, uh, Telethon and everything else going on in uh, the uh, Peterborough and Kawartha's uh, region. So let's hear what uh, the telethon is all about this year and uh, what it has to offer us. Well, hi there, Corey, and welcome back to the program. It's been a while. It has been a while, but thanks for having me back. Yes, and, uh, and well, we always like to keep up with the uh, Easter Seals tel- Telethon, if we can, and which we know is coming up very shortly. But let's go back a few years, and uh, can you tell us what Easter Seals uh, does. So Easter Seals funds families who need financial support for um, mobility equipment. And essentially, I mean, it doesn't take much to qualify to be considered an Easter Seals family if you have a child with a physical disability who requires equipment to help them move through the world. Um, then that's sort of where we step in. And then the other fun side of what we do is we help send kids to camp. So Easter Seals has two fully accessible camps that both families can go to and then kids can go to once they're ready to uh, ditch mom and dad. They can go on their own as well. So those are the two main things that we provide support for uh, to families within our region. And do you have quite a few families in this region? Yeah, there's about 140 families that apply for funding within Sort of, I'm in Peterborough and the Corthas, and then we obviously support the city of Cortha Lakes, a little bit into Halliburton, um, Northumberland, and then a little bit into Durham, not too far. I don't really reach into the GTA. But, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's an ebb and flow of when families need us for support. You know, if they, if they receive funding for a walker, um, they might be good for a couple of years until the child outgrows that walker, and then they would come back to us for more support seeking, you know, a bigger piece of equipment or perhaps their disability progresses so that they now need um, a manual wheelchair or eventually they'll need a power chair and, and those sorts of things. That's when we'll hear from the families, you know, sporadically throughout um, the child's development. Mm-hmm. Now, when uh, people or when you find, say, a walker or a wheelchair and, and the child outgrows it, uh, do they give it uh, uh, back to you uh, to send along to somebody else? No, so a lot of the equipment that we fund um, is prescribed by a doctor, and it's customized for that particular child's needs. Uh. So, say, the seat might be customized. 
customized for the padding requirements of that child or, you know, a particular height or stability or even support purposes. Some chairs require more torso support, some don't. So they're very customized. So sort of a hand-me-down program isn't something that we are really able to do. Now, you by all means can re-donate that equipment to another family in need, but Easter Seals really doesn't partake in the exchange of used equipment. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, will you go uh, so far as to fund a power chair if necessary? Um, oh, absolutely. Yep. It's, it's whatever is prescribed for the child, right? So any mobility equipment that is prescribed, it can be a wheelchair, a walker, a ramp, a van lift, um, braces for the child's legs, lifts for within the home, right, um, in and out of the bathroom, um, toileting needs. Like there's there's a lot of things that provide um you know, independence and a dignity for the child to be able to do those things on their own. So there's a lot of equipment that it's not super attractive to talk about, but there's certainly essential needs that we provide the funding for for the family within the home as well. Sure. Well, that's great because stuff like that can be pretty expensive. It does get expensive, and it's it's a need that's ongoing. So that's what we try to remind our donors of is as the child grows, their disability grows with them, and much like... You know, we go to Canadian Tire to grab our car seats or our hockey skates. These families don't have that luxury where they need more customized equipment. It's specialized and it's far more expensive. So as the child grows, their equipment needs to grow with them. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of why um, the one-off donations are, are lovely and they're appreciated, but there is an ongoing need where these families are facing these expenses um, throughout their childhood and, de- and definitely through their growing period. Yes. Now, uh, quite often, uh, speech uh, Im- impairment or impediment goes along with um, mobility uh, difficulties. So would you, for example, if someone needed a, an alphabet board or something like that, would, would you provide that sort of thing? Yeah, we do fund communication boards. There was a local ambassador a few years ago that had a communication board, and it was a game changer for her because... You know, they seem like they don't have anything to say, but once they get the proper communication device, they have lots to say. And they oh. get, this little girl is particularly funny. <laughs> um, so, you know, getting this communication board for her opened up a whole new world for me, right? Understanding that she is paying attention, she is following along, and she is hilarious. Yeah. So, um, that, you know, especially inside the home, but even more so outside of the home, the communication devices are valuable to the families. So if that's something that they require, definitely we, um, we assist with that funding as well. Oh, that's terrific. Yep. Now, do you have uh, any connection, for example, with uh, when, the, when the child, you know, grows past uh, childhood, do you kind of uh, introduce them to other community agencies like the March of Dimes or anything? Yeah, I mean, we do our best to support the families as the child transitions out of our funding capabilities, so we will support them until they are 19 years old, um, and, that, and that's what we're mandated to do. So um, and beyond that, we really do help. And you know what else is a huge support system is other families. So that's one of the things that Easter Seals works hard to do is it opens up the lines of communications for other families who, you know, have children with physical disabilities, and they share their success stories with each other, and it really, that's a tool that, I think just was a, a convenient benefit that Easter Seals realized we were offering to the families is there's a huge communication source there mm-hmm. in between the parents. So we take a lot of pride of that, and we encourage those lines of communications to stay open. 
Yeah, that's great. No, there's nothing like peer support. Absolutely, yeah, and they nobody knows it like they do, right? So they, they certainly, and a lot of that happens at camp because in the beginning the families go to camp, right? Because could you imagine it's difficult for a parent of an able-bodied child to get to that point where they're willing to send their baby off to camp without them. Yes. So it's just that much more of a step for a parent who is so used to having to care for their child so extensively for 24-7 care. So it's a big step. So in the beginning we welcome, it's called family camp, and we welcome the siblings and the parents of the child to come, and they basically see that the camp is fully equipped with capable staff, nursing staff, um, and they get to, you know, first-hand experience of what it feels like and looks like and how capable they are and how safe it is and how encouraged they are to um, try new things and challenge themselves. And then it doesn't take long, you know, a summer or two before the child is like, hey, mom and dad, you can stay at home this year. I'm ready to go by myself. Right. Um, but for those first couple of summers when the parents go, there's a lot of connection that goes on there, and they talk about, you know, what do you do to modify your kitchen, or how did you qualify for that funding for your bathroom, or how did you get Jimmy, you know, to be involved socially, and we're worried about him being shy or introverted. And one of our local ambassadors right now, um, the parents were chatting at camp, and they learned about if they put their son in Muay Thai. So our little ambassador, Ryerson, started doing Muay Thai a couple of years ago, and it helped strengthen his legs so much so that he's not dependent on a wheelchair anymore. Wow. So that information is so valuable to the families, and it's really neat as, you know, someone who works research sales to watch that stuff happen and, and see it working for the families. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what caused their mobility problems, eh? No, it doesn't. If it was the cause of an accident or if they were born that way or if it's, a you know, a genetic, it doesn't, whatever the diagnosis is, regardless, if they have a physical disability, that's where we step in to help them support, uh, support them with mobility devices and, and communication devices and obviously going to camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, remember when uh, I was living in Collingwood, um, we used to uh, rent the... Easter Seals camp that you had near there, near Thornbury, um, in the in the summer, so that some of us uh, adults with disabilities could get away and enjoy a weekend together. Yeah, so, those are back in the good old days. That's before my time, but they certainly there are staff that still you know remember fondly um, of the Collingwood camp, and it sounds <laughs> like it was an amazing place. And our CEO actually went to that camp because he's a man with a physical disability, and as a child, he was one of our ambassadors. So he was a Timmy, and he talked about having gone to that camp. So it's, it's neat that you bring that up. Yeah, yep. but that unfortunately had to be sold, didn't it? Yep, and now we have, so we have one called Wood Eden, it's down by London, and then the other one is called Marywood, and it's out by Perth, and they're both beautiful properties, so. Super. No, yeah, so I know that the kids definitely look forward to going to them. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And uh, are, are they on, uh, like, a waterfront area so that the kids can get in to uh, have swims if they want to? Yeah, so Marywood is the one that's by Perth, and it's a water-based camp. It's sort of, it's a beautiful spot, and it's on a peninsula. So a lot of the kids within our region actually apply. They have a choice, and they prefer to go to Marywood because it kind of feels like the Kawarthas. Oh, yeah. Um, so they're offered, uh, you know, programs such as sailing, kayaking, canoeing. They get to do overnights on an island, and they do have a pool there, so they have all of those, you know, swimming lessons and stuff, too. But they get to go fishing and do all of the fun stuff on the lake as well. Cool. And then Wood Eden has um, 
a different sort of feel to it where they have a professional um, industrial-sized kitchen that's fully accessible so the kids can take cooking classes. And they have the very famous high ropes course that the kids can go up in their equipment and do the high ropes course and that sort of thing at Wood Eden. So they both have their highlights, but the kids certainly do pick their favorites. And also the camp counselors that come along with it, right? The relationships they build with the staff there yeah. are sort of life-lasting. So the kids certainly have their favorites, but Marywood, I know you're not supposed to pick favorites, but Marywood has a special place <laughs> in my heart. All right. Yes. Yeah. And uh, can they get treatments there if they need to? Uh... You know, if, if they have, I don't know, a dialysis or something that they require, uh, can they do that at uh, at the camps? There is um, a medical hut there where there, you know, there is nursing staff or certainly staff that are capable of um, some medical needs. They're not expensive. I don't know particularly about dialysis itself, but there are certainly things like catheter changes and those sorts of things that take place at camp that the staff are more than capable and comfortable doing. Oh, that's um, good. And they ensure that the kids um, have their medications on time and they, you know, they ensure that all of that stuff is taken care of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, to the best of our ability, there used to be a full-on nursing team at the camps. It sort of has scaled back to that a little bit, but the support certainly is there. And like I say, the parents are comfortable with the transition so that we know everything that we need to know before these kids come with us. Right, okay. So is the uh, telethon, it's in early April, isn't it? Yep, so it's April 11th, we're full steam ahead. I guess I feel like we're sort of in the home stretch here because we're just collecting all of the uh, sponsorship support and we're touching base with all the families and kids. Mm -hmm. It's going to look quite a bit different. Normally the mentality behind telethon is come one, come all, the more the merrier, let's pack this place. And, you know, the families are all invited, and they we have interviews every 15 minutes, and there's check presentations from our sponsors. This year, obviously, with COVID precautions, we're asking people to stay home, stay safe. They can still support us. The telephone's perfect for that. Stay home, phone in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're checking in with the families now virtually. So all of our usual suspects are coming with our hosts, Graham Hart, Mike Melnick, Sue Harrison, Catherine Hanrahan, Teresa Kashuba, and Kaylee Bedore. And they're checking with the families now. So we're pre-recording um, our visits with the kids and with the families, and we'll be airing that live on April 11th. So oh, from home, the show will look relatively similar to what it usually looks like. Um, but in terms of the studios, they're going to be quiet. The hallways will be empty. There'll be no tomfoolery and no stacks of Timbits and that sort of stuff going on. But right. um, we're still looking to have some fun, and uh, but keep safe, and we'll be bare bones in there. I'll have... We'll be understaffed, but they'll be overfed. That's the one thing I can promise this year. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. Yeah. And, um, where will you be um, doing this from? The uh, uh, Jack studio? We host from the Your TV studio. Oh, yeah. The old Kojiko location on Goodfellow. And then it broadcasts live on both Your TV and Global Peterborough. So you'll be able to see us on satellite or on local cable television. All right. Which is That'll great. Be yeah, so the viewership is all still there. So no excuses. Everybody can tune in. And, and of course, if they miss us on April 11th, they can always go online to easterseals.org and uh, choose a telethon and make a donation. You can select the Peterborough area and, you know, every penny counts, especially this year. It's been a tricky year. So yes. we're excited to, you know, see what we can do. And already just seeing from how our sponsorship is coming in, people are stepping up. When they're in a the position to do so, they are very supportive of us. So mm-hmm. we're very thankful for that. And will the money be staying in this region? Yep. So the money that we raise here helps support 
families within our region who are applying for funding. So that's why, you know, people really like getting behind this because they realize and understand that it's a Neighbours Helping Neighbours initiative and you get to see the money working. That's what's fun about Telethon is the families share their stories and you see the difference that it makes and, you know, you understand that where you're putting your donation is actually helping the families and actually making real difference in their lives. And it's just really neat to see the kids year after year, and they're growing like little weeds. So it's, <laughs> telephone's a fun, fun way to check in with the families and, and uh, see how your money is going to a good place. Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, do you have an ambassador this year? We do. Our ambassador is Ryerson Beardmore. This little guy goes to James Strath Public School in Peterborough, mm-hmm. and he was announced as our ambassador last March. And then COVID hit, and it was a bit of a bummer. He didn't get to come to any – we didn't have any events for him to attend. He's getting a COVID do-over. But you have met Ryerson before, for sure. He's been to a lot of our events previous to COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's really excited, and he's warming up to the cameras, that sort of thing. So it's pretty fun to watch him and and figure out his story. And, you know, he talks about going to camp fondly, and he is very much looking forward to being able to do that again when it's safe. So – um, yeah, he's a, he's a great kid and a great family, and it's really fun, you know, being a part of his journey. Oh, well, that's great. Terrific. And uh, have you re- record, pre-recorded a different events that he's been involved with? Um, he, yeah, he's come to some events locally. Unfortunately, when that was happening, we didn't think to pre-record just because we didn't realize we weren't going to be gathering. Right. But we do definitely have photos of Ryerson enjoying the volleyball tournament. He's come to my golf tournaments and that sort of thing. So I have lots of photos of Ryerson enjoying, you know, meeting some of our donors and our supporters and, and having fun at some of our events. Um, but last year he was tucked away safe at home, so we're looking forward to being able to change that, let's hope, in the next few months. Oh, that's terrific, yes. Yeah. Yep. So, um do they have uh, vaccinations yet for uh, children who uh, are facing um, other difficulties? Yeah, as of right now, uh, now this isn't an Easter Seal specialty by any means, but from what I do know is that um, kids under 16 aren't eligible for vaccines. Um, and then only particular, I think it's Pfizer um, and Moderna, have different requirements based on age. You have to be 16 or, I think, 19. Um, so, you know, we're certainly not ready to be vaccinating our kids, even my, my children that are able-bodied. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it'll be a while before kids with physical disabilities and underlying health issues themselves will be ready and comfortable and, you know, we'll have seen enough testing and, and be comfortable to give that a try. Yeah. Um, so for right now, no, there's nothing that's available for kids under 16. And um, we'll just sort of wait and hope that I did see on the news last night that there is testing underway and they're hoping to have something but nothing official yet. No. Well, I hope soon, that's for sure. Absolutely, yeah. I do know that some of the needs that the kids were really, you know, missing during the isolation period was the therapy. So it was a difficult time. Um, A lot of our families realized really quickly in the summer that they were ill-equipped for 24-7 care inside the home, that they usually, the equipment that would wait for the child at school or at their special programming or their therapy appointments was now needed at home. Oh, dear. So Easter Seals was hit with just over a million dollars in funding requests for equipment that we didn't really see coming until the families realized, well, we're responsible for 24-7 care now. So the families were doing therapy within their home and learning how to do that for the kids. So just 
now they're starting to get back into appointments for their therapy and one-on-one physio lessons and um, even the Muay Thai, Ryerson's going back for one-on-one Muay Thai classes and that sort of thing. So there's a little bit of normalcy coming back to these kids, but though many of them really do have to stay home and stay safe and keep isolated because of their underlying health conditions. Yes. I suppose that's where technology would come in, eh? They they can FaceTime each other and that sort of thing. Yeah, so Easter Seals had to pivot last year when we closed the camps because obviously that was not a safe place for the kids to be coming. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our staff are international, right? So when they first started deciding that people couldn't fly into Canada, we had to really look at ourselves and say, well, we we can't do this. It's not safe, nor can we bring in our staff. No. So we switched to um, a virtual camp where the kids all received a, if they registered, they received a camp in a box. And basically it was, you know, little trinkets from camp. Um, there was a booklet with all of their traditional songs they would sing, and they would they would basically get together every once in a while. There was a pre-scheduled time, mm-hmm. but they would meet with the counselors and the other campers via Zoom and sing camp songs together or do a craft together or do some of the silly camp traditions that they do while the camp staff were on location. So they would go to the bonfire, have a fire, and sing camp songs. So they would go to the flagpole and do their silly skits and dress up and sing the national anthem like they do every morning. And so there was a lot of engaging with the kids. And it just, it obviously isn't the same or it's not as good as the real deal, but it certainly did give the kids something to look forward to. And it gave them a chance to hang out with their buddies from camp and see their camp counselors and just sort of a sense of normalcy and maybe have a little laugh and even give the parents a break in the day, right? So the kids are off on Zoom for a bit, hanging out with their friends. Yeah. So we certainly, um, we didn't, I think we underestimated the value of that. So we had an overwhelming response um, to the attendance of virtual camps. So it's something that we're looking at continuing with, um, even going down the road beyond COVID when we're allowed to gather and go to camp again. Why not still offer a virtual camp to kids so that we are, so if there is a barrier for a child of not being able to come to camp, at least those experiences are still available virtually. So it's, it's something that Easter Seals is learning as we go, and that's one of those sort of silver linings of COVID where we realize, you know, we can offer this going forward for kids that can't come to camp when it's time, um, and we can have some fun with it. So it's definitely been a learning experience for oh, us. Sure. And for everybody, too. Yeah. I belong to a few organizations, and uh, uh, we, too, have realized that um, we can't uh, not provide some virtual element uh, going forward because some people just can't afford to be with us, but they could be on Zoom. Yeah, and that's, it, that's sort of what the mentality was in the fall. We had to obviously postpone our March telethon, uh, and we were able to launch it in September. And, you know, the production team takes a lot of pride in how it, when we produce it, it's normally quite slick and professional-looking. And last year we just sort of said, you know what, embrace Zoom. It might be clunky. There might be problems or glitching. and that It's fine. People understand. Everybody's experiencing this learning curve with this thing called Zoom. Yes. So, uh, you know, we're not worried about being criticized for, you know, it not being the most smoothly flowing production or presentation of the telephone. Let's just go for it. There's a need. We understand the need, and somebody has to make the ask, and that's our job. So that's sort of how we're going into it this year, and um, we'll have as much fun as we can with the few of us that are in the studio, and hopefully we'll raise some money. Oh, yes. I certainly hope so. Now, that's uh, April 11th, and what's the starting time? It goes from 10 until 4 on your TV and Global Peterborough. 
Okay. Terrific. And uh, you'll probably be able to uh, mention people that have phoned in the way you usually do, eh? with the telethon. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to hearing from you on April 11th. And like I say, if you missed the show, there's no problem. You can get online, easterfields.org, and make your donation as well. Okay, that's great. Thanks very much uh, for doing this with us, and um, I'm sure we'll be in touch in future years. Thank you, and thank you for your support, and stay well. You too, Carly. Thank you. Earlier this week, I received word about a fellow who lives in Ottawa, but he was in Peterborough, uh, I believe, uh, at that time when word came through. And his name is William Cowie. He is uh, a Dr. William Cowie from Ottawa, and he is very interested in putting together a national disability insurance plan, uh, such as they have in Australia. So I chatted with him and found out all about it, and uh, now I want to introduce it to you. I think that this is something that is is well past its uh, time uh, to get started. And I hope that you'll find it as interesting as I did. Hi there, Dr. Cowie, and thanks so much for being with us on the program. So it was interesting that when I got the uh, note about you this past week, it mentioned that your title is doctor. Are you are you a medical doctor? No, I'm a doctor of philosophy. I was a graduate of the London School of Economics and Economics and Geography, and I've spent much of my international career working working in uh, development studies overseas and lecturing at uh, various universities in Canada. Okay. And most, my most recent work has actually been with the International Trade Center in Geneva. Oh, very good. So uh, how was it that you uh, became interested in uh, uh, possibly bringing uh, an insurance plan to Canada for uh, for people with disabilities. Well, it was a, really a product of my time as chair of a, of a large organization, a large service organization in Ottawa called the Ottawa Carlton Association for Persons with Developmental Disabilities. Okay. Uh, it was an organization that looked after about a thousand disabled adults and various kinds of programming. But one of our board members, uh, about uh, about six seven years ago now, six years ago now. Uh, his wife was from Australia, and he was a World Bank economist himself. And 
and we had a and we talked about that and it in its breadth and comprehensiveness and its ability to address the issues facing people with disabilities uh, you know it didn't take us long to realize well this this is something Canada really should look at this is something that Canada needs and uh, so basically we we stole the name of our, our organization called the every Canadian Towns Coalition from the Australians because they had something called the Every Australian Counts Coalition, which was a major driver behind the creation of the program there. Mm -hmm. So um, how close are you to um, developing that here in Canada? Well, it's been a, it's been a, it's been a case of after what I would call a very in, uh, quick start initially. Uh, we we uh, went to Australia and uh, introduced... Uh, Minister Falco to to the um, who was brand new into the office. I mean, she was elected November and February. She went to a conference in Australia, and I arranged a meeting between her and the head of the NDIS at the time, uh, Bruce Bonahady. And the minister at that time expressed a great deal of interest in in the in the, in this kind of program uh, and made some initial inquiries in back to Canada. But the 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 discussion in the public and the awareness of this public policy option was simply not there in Canada to proceed quickly, because most of the momentum had been taken up by what was what has been commonly called the accessibility agenda. Oh, yeah. Most people will be familiar with, you know, with the Ontario Accessibility Act. Yes. And so the minister for the last two or three years has been working on the creation of the Canadian the Accessibility Act for Canada, which was passed last November. Mm -hmm. Now, since then, she has moved on to, to what's called the inclusion agenda. And the kind of policy program or public policy uh, initiative we're talking about here with disability insurance fits much more into that inclusion agenda. And so now we're starting to see momentum being picked up on the inclusion agenda, including a, minister, a meeting I had with the minister last week in which he, we discussed sort of the way forward on how to... How to uh, how to make progress on that agenda. Terrific. So what plans or what uh, uh, driving initiatives are, are coming up in, in the future that people with disabilities can get involved with? Well, what we've been pushing for initially, um, and we did this with the re recent round of the public consultations on the federal budget, is we've been advocating, we've asked for an allocation of research funds uh, to give kind of shape and direction uh, to, to the dif uh, disability insurance option. And what I mean by that is if we're going to introduce a national pro disability support program, there's, of course, a lot of things that need to be understood about where the provinces are and the basis of their disability support because all the provinces do it a little bit differently and they fund it differently and so on and so forth. And if the federal government is to step up to the plate and increase funding for the dis for disability supports. They have to see how it will interact with the provincial administrations right now. But also, I mean, the public discussion has to take place in terms of you know, the Canadian public needs to be uh, made uh, increasingly aware that these kinds of disability supports are desperately needed, um, and the research agenda will help that discussion. And the reason I say that's important is because I think the general understanding for most Canadians out there is. Uh, you know, that people with disabilities do get the support they need uh, when, in fact, it's not true. Um, and, and, you know, uh, we know that. 
supports would you be looking for that the uh, provincial governments don't already provide? sounds terrific. Um, how long do you think it might take to establish something like, like that here? Well, we're looking at, you know, we're looking at a research program that will probably take a year. We're probably looking at the convening of a conference, which will take another sort of six months, sort of in Nevada. So then, you know, you'll be looking at rolling out pilot kind of studies and so on and so forth. So, I mean, I would see initial traction of this, initial implementation on a preliminary level being within the next Organizations of people with disabilities here in Canada are uh, coming on board with the idea. Oh yes, absolutely right. We have we have we have a very very committed and dedicated support over the last five years, actually, with a number of organizations, including Brain Injury Canada, Spinal Cord Injury Canada, Easter Seals, Canadian Autism Spectrum Disorder Association, the Ontario Undergraduate Students Association. Believe it or not, which is quite nice. The Neil Squires of British Columbia. Plus, we've always engaged, we've always been 
uh, and we've talked we've talked to all of the major organizations on, on one level or another uh, uh, about what we've been proposing. So we've enjoyed we've enjoyed uh, we've enjoyed uh, uh, as I say committed and dedicated support through 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 the la- over the last five years. Actually, yeah. Okay. Uh, I would also like to point out that the, the strongest support comes from the representative organizations that where people's uh, people are underserved. Yes. Particularly, particularly the brain injury community, which basically gets no services, and yet they represent four times the number of disabilities of all other disabilities put together. Wow. Yeah. That that's very interesting. Now, um, can uh, can people? Uh, do anything to kind of help in the campaign to bring this uh, about? Well, sure. I mean, you can go to our website at www.everycanadiancounts and sign up as a supporter. Uh, very often, sometimes we, we call for, uh, you know, letters of support, uh, uh, you know, to if you belong to an organization or tie with an organization. We Like in the last budget, we look for letters of support for a budget commitment to That's great. Uh, is there anything else I should be asking? No, I mean, you're, you're just doing what you're doing right now is, is the very kind of thing we need. Uh, you know, as I say, uh, uh, get the discussion going out there. I mean, well, the other thing we can, you can do, of course, is you can go onto our website and make a small donation. That would, that, that would, uh, that's something I really don't push hard enough on. We're all volunteer organizations, by the way. No, we have no paid, paid uh, staff. Uh-huh. Wonderful. I should say, by the way, we're not a charity, so it's not that stressful No, okay. Yeah. Well, um, I'll be playing this uh, interview from time to time, and uh, hopefully we can get some other organizations to know about what's happening, and uh, hopefully you'll be hearing you know, from more people across Canada.
Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, being with us. And uh, if there are any other developments that come along, which I'm sure there will be, and uh, you want uh, people to, to know about them, uh, you have my email address. Well, absolutely right. And as I say, if you sign on, you can get our, our regular updated newsletter and uh, that sort of thing. And I'd, you know, I'd be very happy to give you an update uh, if that's something uh, at another time uh, later on and uh, things develop. Okay, terrific. Thanks well, thank so much, much for chatting yeah, with us. Okay, well, you have a good day. You too. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. April is Organ Donation Month, and back in 2019, Simon Trevoranis, who was my co-host at the time, and I interviewed a gentleman named Steve Scally, who is Lions District A3's chairperson of the Gift of Life program. Now, when we did that interview, it was a year less a day after the terrible crash in Humboldt, Saskatchewan that took 16 lives of young men in the prime of their hockey careers and injured 13 more. So you'll hear us refer to that every once in a while. And uh, Logan Brule was one young man who had just barely donated his organs and six lives were saved because of his sacrifice. So here's that interview with Steve. Uh, we have with us Steve Scally who is the district uh, chair for Lions District A3 uh, for um, organ donations. Uh, is is that the uh, the title there, Steve? Oh, that's pretty close. Yeah, I'm the chair for the Gift of Life program. Gift of Life. Ah, yes. That's, uh, Which is organ donation. Right. Yeah. That's a much uh, fancier and uh, nicer way of saying it. <laughs> Steve, I wonder if you could tell us um, how important uh, the need for organ donations is. I don't know if I can tell you exactly how important it is. It's enormously important. Um, what we're talking about here is generating longer life uh, when others' have, lives have ended. Currently, for example, in Ontario, there are just over 1,600 people waiting for a variety of different organ transplants. Mm -hmm. And regrettably, much of that will require uh, passing of someone else like young Logan, um, who have agreed to donate their organs. Many of these people who are waiting are, are youthful, like Logan, and many are middle-aged. There's a whole variety. There's no, um, there's no fairness in who needs an organ transplant or what age the need can strike. So is the need great? Yes. People are dying for lack of these organs. Uh, every three days, somebody who's on that list waiting for an organ transplant will die. Oh, dear. Yes. And uh, you have a personal connection with organ transplants, don't you? 
I do indeed, Devin. Uh, it goes back to 23 and a half years ago when my wife also was in need of a double lung transplant due to a genetic disorder that she was born with that ultimately uh, destroyed her lungs. And uh, she was very fortunate. The uh, lungs became available a week before Christmas. Wow. Which meant, yeah, which meant, unfortunately, a family somewhere was in grief over the sudden loss of a family member. Mm-hmm. But even in that state, they knew their family member wanted to donate organs, and they allowed that to happen. As a consequence, my wife received a double lung transplant, and she's still with those same lungs now 23 and a half years later. Wow. Wonderful. Wow. Yes. And during the course of that time, um, my wife also found herself in need of a kidney transplant from an, another disorder, uh, and I was able to make that donation. So I'm, in fact, uh, not only am I signed up to be an organ donor upon my death, I am a living organ donor as well. Oh, my. That's great, uh, Steve. And it's possible to do that with a kidney, and uh, and now um, uh, the liver can be, a uh, piece of the liver can be... Uh, given to somebody else, right? Indeed, that's true. Uh, Liver and kidneys are the easiest ones to do, of course, but there are some others as well. It's possible to do a partial lung transplant. It's uh, possible to do uh, bone marrow transplants as well. We mustn't forget about those. So, uh, you know, there there are other living donation options as well, but it is the kidney and the liver that is most common. Hmm. What else can... Uh, medical science uh, now make use of? Uh, well, if uh, we're talking about uh, a donor who has passed away, there's uh, eight major organs that they can be used. Uh, heart, liver, lungs, kidneys, pancreas, uh, bowel, and of course uh, corneas from the eyes. Yes. And in addition to that, there's 75 other tissues that could be used Um connective tissues, cartilage, uh, and other parts of the body, skin, uh, bone grafts that can be used as well. So uh, a donor in their death can actually aid up to as many as 75 people. Wow. That's great. Hmm. How does someone uh, go about uh, making sure that that happens? Well, it's a very simple process. Uh, the easiest way is online, www.beadonor.ca, just like it sounds, mm-hmm. beadonor.ca, and you can register online. You will need your health card to do that. Uh, if you can't get online, you can go to a service Ontario where you get your license renewed and so on and pick up a form there. Or I can give you a 1-800 number, one 800 263 2833, and you can do it by phone. Now, what's important is once that form is done, the family members still have the right to refuse. And in instances where the family have not discussed with the donor the fact that the donor wishes to be an organ donor, up to 60% of them will refuse. But once that discussion has taken place, that drops down to 10%. So it's very important once you register yourself to be a donor, Uh, with the province, you must also speak with your family and let them know that this is your wish and that you very strongly insist that they do that. Hmm. So there's no sense putting it in your will. You have to actually physically discuss that. Yes. You you don't want to wait until, uh, you know, your funeral has already taken place before the family discovers that you wanted to be an organ donor. It's a little late then. Yes. It's very important. 
it's very important to discuss it with family to let them know this is these are your wishes, but it's also necessary to register. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, you know, the old paper ones, your driver's license and so on, are not valid. You must go online or make, make that phone call or go to the Service Ontario and fill out the form there. When your new health card comes in, on the back of it, it will say that you are a donor mm-hmm. or that you are registered to be a donor. Right. And so you know that any time you change your mind, you can go through the same process and change your mind. So it's not absolute. You have the final say. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Now, earlier this week, um, Nova Scotia uh, announced that they were going to bring in a, um, now, can I? Presumed consent. Yes, presumed consent. What do you, uh, what do you think of uh, that idea, Steve? In order, uh, in other words, they would, they would uh, just assume that you uh, consented and go ahead and, and take the organs uh, from a, a yeah. body. Yeah, they're going ahead with the idea of presumptive, that because because you didn't say you don't want to be an organ donor, that you'll automatically be an organ donor. Yeah. Um, and I, I foresee some difficulty with that because many people will find that um, an infringement on their right to choose. Uh, but generally, I think it's a it's a good idea, and perhaps with more education, they will have the option to opt out. If you don't want to go ahead with that you, in Nova Scotia, you'll be able to say, no, I do not want to be an organ donor, and fair enough, then you won't be. Right. Um, but cur- as I say, currently in Ontario, as an example, there are 1,600 people waiting for organs. Wow. I don't know how many there are in Nova Scotia, perhaps not as many because their population isn't that great. But many of those people who are waiting for transplants in Nova Scotia and in the far east of Canada actually come to Ontario to have the surgeries done. Is that right? So, yes, uh, it's wow. quite common to see people, particularly for the heart, lungs, the major transplants. Uh, they're, they're, those surgeries are most often done here in Ontario. So it's regionalized. So um, it, the need is great. And in the case of, for example, of those 1,600 people in Ontario waiting, 1,400 are waiting for kidneys. Oh, my god. Kidneys can be donated with live donors. So my question is, how come they haven't got kidneys already? Yeah. And the answer is, of course, people aren't informed. Right. They don't know that they can go ahead and do this. Hmm. Is there any upper age limit, Steve, for, for people who can donate? Well, uh, my knowledge is that the oldest... Uh, organ or tissue donor was 91, and the oldest recipient was 103. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course, it will depend. As you get older, some of our organs start to fail. They may not be suitable for doning, uh, but other tissues may be. So, um, you know, the, that option to be able to donate something upon your passing is uh, is still there right up until at least 91. So I'm just curious about why the 60% of folks uh, choose to not donate their family's uh, organs. Like, what, what's the reason that, what's the good reason that people have to not do this? Uh, largely um, ignorance. They're not familiar, A, with the pro- process, and B, the, that's in the instance of, of where the person who wishes to be a donor did not take time to talk to their family members and say, I want to do this. So there's hesitancy because they, they're not certain that this is the wish of their family member. So even though it's on your card that you wish to be a member, if you have not discussed it with your family, then these are just the numbers that we currently have that suggest when an individual who wants to be a donor did not discuss it ahead of time 
with their family, the families tend to not want to go along with it. And I, I believe it's ignorance, lack of knowledge about what's involved with organ donations and so on. There's nothing, uh, once a, a body has passed and organs are donated, it's generally within 12 to 24 hours that the body is returned to the family and a normal funeral proce- process can go ahead. Uh, open caskets are possible and so on. There's, But I think that many families who don't know about this in advance are concerned with those issues and perhaps that's why they hesitate. Right. So we need to do as much uh, education as possible. That's for sure. Is there anything that uh, we haven't asked you yet that we should have? Is there anything that you want to discuss about about this? Well, I'd just like to let people know that uh, you know, all the major religions um, have issued statements that they are either in favor of or will leave it up to individuals to make that decision. Uh, there are a, a few smaller groups that, that are against it. Some are against the idea of the organs being donated for experimental purposes, but if it's done as a life-saving mechanism, then they are in favor. So in, in the case of all the major religions, they are not opposed to organ donation. So keep that in mind. But if you want, you should talk with your religious leader if that's an issue, uh, if, you're, if you're wondering about whether or not they support it. We need to have as many people as possible sign up, because obviously if I'm in northern Ontario when I pass, I may not be able to donate organs by, the, by time delay um, you know, to get to a hospital where the organs are needed. So even though many people sign up, only a few are actually in a prime position to donate the organ at the time of their death. So we do need more people to sign, and they need those people then to talk to their family members and let the family members know this is what I want to do. And that young Logan from the Humboldt uh, team, that's exactly what he did. He told his parents this is what he wanted to do. Unfortunately, it happened way too soon in his life. But they knew this was his wish, and six people now have a life um, thanks to his sacrifice. Well, that's wonderful, Steve. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and chatting with us, and um, uh, good luck with the... uh, continued uh, gift of life uh, program there. Well, thank you very much, Devin. Thank you, Simon, for this opportunity to speak to the good people of Peterborough. And uh, you, know, you know my contact information. Should anybody would like to talk more about it, I would be happy to do that. Or to go online to www.beadonor.ca. That's wonderful, Steve. Thank you very much. Well, folks, that just about does it for this week. Before I see you again, we will all have received uh, visits from the Easter Bunny. I want to wish everyone a safe, happy, and blessed Easter. I want to remind you, please, please, not to get together in gatherings that are too large for these times. I want to be able to see you around for many, many years to come. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.